3: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.
4: Before the show starts, I want to tell you about an awesome, awesome laptop that you need to get into. The Acer Swift 5. And it offers a powerful Intel Core processor, super slim design, and more. Discover new possibilities with this Acer Swift 5. I've seen these things. They're incredible. So what I want to do is give you a discount on them. Go to Acer.com, click on store, and enter the coupon code 100Words at checkout to receive 10% off, plus free ground shipping on a Swift Series laptop, including already discounted models. The offer is only valid until April 30th, 2018, and it's limited to one per qualified order. Windows Hello, the password is you. Windows 10, this Acer computer is awesome. All right, now on with the show. What's up, what's up, what's up? Hi, you're here at 100 Words or Less, the podcast, and I'm your host, Ray Harkins. We're at episode 299. That is one away from 300. That is 300 weeks of doing this. It's like five years. I just, I can't believe it. And what's even cooler is we have an amazing guest this week, Dave Smalley. And if you don't know the bands that he has played in, then you, my friend, are living under a rock. He's played in Down By Law, DYS, Dag Nasty, all his most recent band called Don't Sleep, which is really really good, and I'll be playing a little bit of one of their tracks as I intro the interview. But uh, Dave, this was a very very laborious interview in regards to setting it up. But once we got the uh, the call set up and we dove in, it was awesome. Dave was a uh, a gracious guest and uh, very engaged in answering the questions that I I, I really tried. Not to ask him all of the stuff that he's been asked before because he's been interviewed 400,000 times. So, uh, and that's an exact number, all right? I counted him. No, I'm just kidding. But, anyways, what do I got to tell you? I got to tell you about Rockabilia. Now, if you have not ordered something from Rockabilia using this coupon code, you, my friend, are, are just missing out. I'm, I'm calling you my friend a lot recently. I'm looking at you, the listener, right there. But, Dive into that website, rockabilly.com. They have half a million items for sale. Long sleeves, short sleeves, hoodies. I've seen posters. There's coffee cups for some bands. (laughs) There is a bunch of stuff there that you can dive into. And what's awesome about it, it's officially licensed. These bands are getting paid for this. It's not these horrible, horrible bootlegs that you see on the internet if you Google a band's name and merch. And I have seen this stuff. It's um, The bootleg... Game is 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 sad. It's horrible. You don't want to support that in any way, shape, or form. So that's why you go to Rockabilia, okay? And I'm going to give you 15% off of your first order by using the code PC Please use that. Tell them that this show sent you, okay? I would really appreciate that because at the end of the day, you get this show for free, and the whole reason that I'm able to keep doing this is by awesome support from sponsors. I'm not out there asking you for money this is basically this is you know a a, a tit for tat scenario and these are companies the ones i do advertisements for i've approved i fully back them so support the companies that support this thing okay and rockabilly is one of them uh, what else do I got to tell you about? I have to tell you that uh, I've been going to a lot of shows recently. Got to see Casket Lottery recently. Uh, got to see uh, an old friend's band, The Beautiful Mistake, to a uh, you know comeback reunion show. And they asked me to sing a song with them, which was super fun, at Chain Reaction. And uh, speaking of Chain Reaction, come out to see Taken, my band, play on May 12th. Please, if you live in Southern California and you're listening to this, come hang out. I just It's going to be a really, really fun time. And uh, I'm looking forward to it it will be, it'll, it'll, our, our new EP will be out. Then we'll be playing some songs off that. And, I'm uh, just, it's, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. I promise you that. And, um, yeah, I think that's all because this, this conversation just deserves to be the absolute spotlight of this thing. So, um, yeah, that's what we're doing. And, uh, here's Dave and I will talk to you after the episode is over. you know, I'm sure this has been kind of echoed back to you in different, uh, forms, but you know, it, it feels like certain bands and, you know, artists kind of just become a part of, you know, what I like to call the hardcore punk sort of starter kit where it's like, all right, here's a, here here's the 15 records you got to get. And, you know, whether it's like an older brother, sure, or older sure, sister, yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely.
4: And so, you know, I, I definitely would say that, you know, D Y S and, and Dag Nasty kind of, you know, fall into that category. Um, you know, is it is it weird for you to kind of reflect on those things where it's just like, you know, we were obviously children putting these things together. And, you know, for the for it to like echo and reverberate for many years, I'm sure it's just, you know, I'm sure it's humbling, but also probably kind of humorous for you in certain respects, too.
3: Yeah, definitely humbling. And, and I don't know, humorous, but because I did take it all and still do take it so seriously, um, I don't really... Uh, I, I, I do joke around a lot, especially in Down by Law. Um, I'm, yeah, Down by Law is a might as well just be a comedy troupe sometimes on tour. It's so funny, <laughs> sure. but um, uh, it's it, it, I, I don't know if humor is the right word, but definitely kind of amazement, Actually, you know, because back in 1982, you know, like you know, with people wanting to you know get in fights with you just because you had spiky hair or torn jeans or whatever, and you know, to think that that's still, that that, not only we crossed through all of those battles, literal battles sometimes, and then, you know, and, and, and years and all these things, and people still, you know, are, are um, understanding of and supportive of what DYS was doing, for instance, is, is uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of great, but I still kind of am like, wow, that, because it, it, we didn't know what we were doing, you know, and that's kind of the joy of it, and that's why it's so pure and, and real. Because we didn't, it wasn't planned. So that's kind of why I think it it it, 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 that's why it resonated so much. And yet at the same time, why I'm kind of always like kind of in awe that it, that it managed to stand the test of time.
4: Right, right. And, and I'm I'm sure I, I guess the, the humorous aspect is like the the notion that it's like, like you said, you didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> so it's like so many people have tried to do things deliberately and tried to set it up for success. And then, you know, they fail miserably. But then these things that are, you know, full of uh, intention and vigor, but, uh, you know, don't have any grand ideas. It's just like, oh, yeah, like we're doing this. And then that becomes successful.
3: Yeah. And it's weird, you know, music is a weird thing or art of any sort, you know, um, some things are, are really uh, imitative or d- duplicative, I think is the word. And, 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 and those things sometimes do succeed. You know, I mean, I look at, you know, what is uh, in pop music, what is, you know, Katy Perry, but just a horrible version of Madonna. Who's a horrible version of whatever, you know what I mean? Like that's all just cliched, horrible, generic kind of pop stuff in my mind um and yet they're hugely successful right like they're they 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 found the right um role to play and the right image to to copy and the right sound to copy and then you know and and they they made it re- work but i think in punk it's it's in hardcore, it's more challenging to do that because our music is based on honesty and on heartfeltness, if that's the right word. So, you know, we, we see through that and there are bands that are, you know, there's a lot of bands that sound like Blink-182 or whatever, um, you know, uh, or, or no effects or whatever, bad religion. I think there's a ton of bands that, you know, sort of fall into those sort of, um, uh, the sort of categories but the difference I think is most of those bands aren't trying to become huge they're doing stuff because they like that band or even you know I've seen you know a lot of bands have a Nasty feel to them and that's that's great they're not trying to become you know superstars or whatever they're just like this is what we know and what we love and that's that's what most people do you know you, especially when you're a young musician you you kind of play what you know and what you love and you know, and eventually some some bands go and get their own kind of vibe. And that's the ones that usually stand out.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I do think you're the point you made where, uh, you know, the BS detector definitely, uh, you know, is more, I guess, acute within independent music just because you have that uh, you you have so many people kind of, um, you know, right or wrongly, uh, you, you know, s- examining bands and artists as they kind of get filtered through that lens to whether or not it's like (laughs) credible or whatever. And so, yeah, you definitely have people paying very close attention to that.
3: Yeah. And, and I think the, the key to our music, uh, this music is, are you doing it because you love it? And from the heart and you can tell the ones that are sincere. And I've always tried to, you know, cut myself among those. And, uh, you know, it just, it shines through the music, you know, it just does. And um, uh, it's kind of a joyful thing that it does that. And, you, you know, and when you hear, like when you hear hoosker do, you're like, oh my gosh, every every note is heartfelt and original and beautiful. And, you know, and, and it's it's so, so sincere. Yeah, and, they uh, mean it. You feel it. Yeah, and that that is why people connect with them is because they feel that sincerity and to some degree... Even songs like, you know, that are that are pretty serious, like Diane, for instance, if we're talking about Who's could do, which is a great song, but tragic. Um, but even though, luckily, I don't know anyone who had that horrible experience of that, that that song talks about, it, it still resonates with me because it's human and honest.
4: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Totally. Um, you know, and kind of reflecting on uh, you know coming up in the you know DC and the surrounding areas, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of the um, you know the revisionist history of uh, examining the music scenes that you know started to spring up around that time when you, you know when you were a kid and starting to get involved. Um, you know, it seemed like underground music was extremely pervasive and there there was it was happening all over the place. But I, I'm going to presume that that kind of wasn't the case. It was definitely still this sort of weird fringe art that most people and most of your peers probably didn't have any interest in.
3: Uh, Are you just talking about like in the DYS days kind of, is that? Yeah,
4: yeah, exactly. Yeah. The DC and like, you know, when you were kind of coming up. Yeah, they're, they're definitely, you know, the
3: funny thing is uh, everybody's kind of always like, you know, amazed that, that like, I don't know. I mean, I'm p- picking myself in this example, but Dave Smalley knew Brian Baker and Ian McKay and Al from SSD. But part of the reason, well, I mean, of course I lived in the same city with Alan was a huge fan and, 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 you know, but beyond all that, we all knew each other, like John Kesdy from the effigies or, or Barry Hensler from the Necros or Tesco V or, you know, we all knew each other because there were so few of us. And, Um, you know, and, and I think that was a huge factor that people maybe don't realize so much now of how few of us there really were. And, you know, I mean, we, I played with the misfits in, you know, tiny place with DYS and, you know, with like a hundred people there or whatever. Now, you know, they're selling out arenas for, you know, hundreds of dollars a ticket, which by the way, I don't begrudge them one tiny bit they (laughs) deserve whatever they you know all these people who are up arms about that you know hey when you were there in 1981 playing in a church or a or a ufwfw hall or whatever and you know lugging amps you know up seven flights of stairs or whatever you know what i mean like those guys anyone uh, i wish them all the success in the world um but so yeah it's an interesting thing that that we all there were so few of us and and that's how we all kind of knew each other because you know, as Benjamin Franklin uh, said, we all have to hang together or surely we will all hang separately. So,
4: Right. Yeah, totally. You you had to. I mean, you know, it, that always kind of, you know, was the case where, you know, if you're going to a particular city, you talk to, you know, these couple people to do a show or maybe you can crash here. And like, you know, even though the, the scene is, you know, exponentially larger than what it used to be you know, it still kind of beats to that same notion of like, Oh yeah, this, these are the people you talk to, but you know, now there's, you know, more legitimate places to play or whatever.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same, you know, so (laughs) the ethos has hopefully stayed the same and the, and the, um, you know, and I, I, the thing is, I am so grateful that I was able to sleep on couches and make this kind of crazy life that I've had and gone through some crazy adventures, but I'm also glad that now I'm, you know, able to, uh, at least get a, you know, a days in or whatever at the end of the night. So that helps.
4: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm an adult and I like, uh, like things as well. Occasionally. <laughs>
3: yeah but having having said that, I still wouldn't change a, a lick of it you no. know for from the past
1: no because
4: it's all yeah it's all that collective experience that you have and you know the um, you know highs and lows of those things so your expectations are are measured appropriately right um, the uh, you know it's it, kind of like it's kind of like
3: you remember your high school girlfriend with great fondness right your first girlfriend in high school but you also look back on the drama and the uncertainty and the insecurities that we all had with our first girlfriend or boyfriend, you know, and, and you're like, yeah, that was so special and unique, but I'm glad I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, not, I don't have to do that anymore. You yeah. <laughs> totally. so that's the analogy.
4: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's a good experience and I learned a lot, but uh, I'm, I don't want, I don't want that anymore.
5: <laughs> the show is sponsored by better help.
1: At PurdueGlobal.edu. Boop, 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 boop.
4: Sound the alarm. I am interrupting this awesome conversation with Dave to tell you about a sponsor that is so near and dear to my heart that I would probably talk about them for a year until you tried this out. So Delicious organic almond milk with cashew. First of all, this brand so delicious is unbelievable. I love this company. Ever since I, I I started sampling the vegan lifestyle many years ago, they were one of the first that I tripped across this. They have yogurts. They've got so much stuff, but I, I don't want to confuse the message. What I want to tell you about is the So Delicious Organic Almond Milk with Cashew. So, you know, like this is a very, very clean almond milk. It has seven or fewer ingredients and comes in three amazing flavors, vanilla, original, and unsweetened. I mess with all three of them, but to be honest, if you're looking for a, a real recommendation, Vanilla with a little bit of granola, oh dude, or raisin bran, oh my gosh, this this is some amazing stuff. And for those of you that have never tried almond milk, dive in with this one first. It's nice and thick and creamy and you just, you really, really feel the nutrition just, just washing over your body, okay? One sip is all it takes to realize that nothing else compares. So visit so slash words today to learn more. Again, that is sodeliciousdairyfree.com slash words. I really can't endorse this enough. This is amazing. I love that they've partnered with the show. You need to try this stuff out. Like if I could drive to every single one of your houses to pour you a nice bowl of cereal with some of this so delicious almond milk with cashews, I would, okay? But I don't have the time to do that, so I need you to do just a little work, okay? So please, sodeliciousdairyfree.com slash words. I love you, so delicious. Thank you. Now on with the show. From you know all, all the interviews that I, I've seen uh, of you in regards to mentioning your your parents is that they were you know incredibly supportive uh, of you as you started to you know branch out and develop your own identity and getting into this you know what is ostensibly a weird style of music for them. I'm sure while they were supportive, but I, I'm sure there were moments where they were just like, "Dude, what is Dave getting into?" Like you know how how did that kind of uh, I guess, manifests itself in their heads.
3: I wish I knew, you know, um that's a great question and what would be really interesting and in hindsight uh, being twenty twenty I hadn't actually thought of it till just now, but would have been really cool to have my parents be interviewed at some point. and I never did that and and would have been really great because that's a great question. you know, like what were they thinking watching their son, you know, do this and get into this world and i mean they they saw it you know and to some degree you know they they saw it. they saw down by law in spain and you know at two in the morning and they saw dagnasty at the nine thirty club and they saw you know they they i don't know if they ever saw dys they certainly let dys uh stay at their nice little townhouse in greenwich connecticut when we were doing our tour with the fus and stuff so you know, and we all just had shaved heads and huge X's on our hands and combat God. boots. So, so they were there in a way. You could say that my parents were there for, you know, as much or more than a lot of kids. Um, so I don't really know what they were thinking, except that I think, you know, parental love trumps all. And so they they probably were just, you know, okay. Um, like, hey, and they also knew that I love to sing and that I'd been singing since I was a little kid. And so that I think was a huge part of it, that they knew this was where I had a special uh, gift and they were anxious for me to, to be able to use it.
4: Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Cause I do think that even though they probably, didn't have a context for what you were doing. You know, like you said, they experienced it and they kind of, you know, had the wide strokes of it, but ultimately at the core of it, they just saw the fact that, Hey, our son who loves singing can get up in front of people and sing. Like, I guess that's something that we got to be supportive of.
3: Yeah. Now would they have rather I'd been singing, um, you know, uh, like when I was in high school and I was doing musicals and stuff like that. Um, they they might have preferred that I'd gone to you know New York and done Broadway or something, but um, you know they 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 knew that this was where my heart was and to whatever format it came, I think they were supportive of the fact that it was you know being done.
4: Yeah. Oh, absolutely, definitely. Um, and you, you, from you know an outsider's uh, observation, uh, you know, you've always kind of struck me as a um, you know very uh, thoughtful and outgoing person. As far as you know, that's kind of. Uh, a a singer's job in many respects where it's like oh yeah they got to be you know approachable and um, you know that sort of stuff was that uh, I I guess is that a appropriate characterization of you or is that something that you kind of had to learn uh, to be where it was you know you I guess you kind of broke out of your shell and you can you know (laughs) interact with people on a regular basis or was that always kind of you?
3: Well, I think as far as the stage stuff goes, because I was always singing ever since, you know, elementary school and in performances and stuff like that, I I was always very comfortable, um, even welcoming of, you know, um, you know, in choirs doing solos at church and stuff. And so, you know, I mean, one of the things in life that is really nice is it can find something that you do well and get a chance to do it, you know? And, um, you know, I'd make a really lousy accountant and I'd make a really lousy, uh, you know, electrician and I'd make a really lousy, uh, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, a lot of lousies. but I would, but I do think I make a pretty good singer and, and that's just, I'm blessed for that, for that one thing. And, you know, and so the the stage part was always, very comfortable as my second home or whatever. And I, I've always believed in what I'm singing, And that's also helps you with the confidence stuff. You know, I think if you go up there and you're just either posing or you're uh, not confident about what you're, what message you're conveying uh, that, that either shows, or it certainly would reflect to how you feel about it. And I've always had the, the, you know, the, the belief in what I was doing, particularly obviously in the punk world. So, you know, that's a huge factor, but as far as like, you know, the, the personal side, it's really interesting to me how many people have said, Jeez, you're so nice, you know, and like, they like, they totally expected, you know, a different person or, or whatever. And I guess either scared because they heard DYS or, you know, or, or they, you know, or they, they're meeting a lot of people who aren't very nice. And I think both of those may be part of the, the initial, um, you know, uh, feelings that people might, might have. So, um, sure you know, I'm, I'm glad to be able to, uh, just talk to people. I mean, that was one of the things I love most about punk and hardcore from 1980 onward was, you know, how much it was, uh, connecting people. So I still believe in that as part of its uh, part of
4: its value. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, and this, this is kind of more of an observation rather than a question, but you know, you can definitely, um, you know, chime in on this where, you know, you, usually in respect to, you know, punk and hardcore, the vocalists um, are, you know, usually kind of just thrust up there because either they don't know how to play an instrument as well as their friends, or um, they're kind of you know the loudest of their group of friends, or whatever. There's usually you know whatever a handful of reasons why people kind of get get put to that status. But you know, like you have always been talented <laughs> from a vocal perspective. Like you said, you've always you know sung and you've done performances and. Um, I just find it, uh, you know, interesting because that was something that even though people could define the fact that you were talented and be like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, he can carry tune and that that's cool. Um, that, that wasn't, uh, I guess kind of a focal point of a lot of, you know, punk and hardcore bands where it wasn't like, Oh my gosh, like Dave is a very quality singer, you know, whereas like most music <laughs> will define people by that. Um, is that something that Right. You could-
3: and it doesn't, it doesn't always have to be a great singer though. So you think of a guy like, um, Tom Waits or, um, Tom Petty for that matter, or, Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys, Bob Dylan, obviously, you know, there's so many people, Il Duce, um, from the mentors, you know, (laughs) I'm joking, but you know, there's a lot of guys who are really, um, you know, not singers, they're performers or artists in different ways. And that's totally cool. And, um, again, I think it gets back to the, uh, sincerity and the, um, and the belief factor. Like, do you believe that Tom Waits is, you know, um, or, or, you know, Shane McGowan or whoever, you know, has a non-typical voice. Uh, do you believe, do they believe it? And do you believe that they believe it? And and the answer of course is yes. Um, so, um, I, I think that is a factor that should be remembered in hardcore there. So you don't have to necessarily, there are, it is nice to be able to, to sing and have melodies. Cause I think people link in with them. I think that's for instance, why that nasty and can I say really just Shocked people because it was the one of the first times that there had been that blend of like rock guitar and song structure and and then singing with rage you know but, uh, there had been stuff like that, but it wasn't as common as just you know sort of roaring hardcore and so the re- one of the reasons why I think Dagnasty connected so well can't I say touch so many people is it was like it was pretty different, and you know uh, the music that, that, uh, Brian was writing at that time was pretty different, you know? So it, uh, it all kind of popped out in a unique way.
4: Yeah, that's true. And I, I, I yeah, that does kind of, <laughs> I think it always is that idea of, um, bands once you actually like, you know, listen to them and it's just kind of like, Oh wow. Like that guitarist is, is better than just kind of your, you know, average person within the, you know, this music scene or whatever. And so it kind of like by default, sort of stands out, and so you know that's kind of yeah. <laughs> that's the category that you. And find. that's to to
3: give you another instance of this. It's both our biggest curse and our best success for Down by Law. You know, Down by Law. The, you know, Sam Williams um, is easily one of the top guitar players in America. I mean, there's just no question. He's yeah. You know, if you've ever seen him play live, or if you watch some of the videos, or if you get a chance to see him in the future or listen to. You know, some of the stuff he does on some of these records, um, there's no question he's he's in the top five guitar players, certainly and easily in punk and I would argue just in, in general. Um, but uh, down by law, being a band of, of musicians, we didn't, um, you know, we, we sort of stand out and yet that's more it's more challenging for a listener to get into that because you're not going to get a cliche generic sound where you know exactly what every single song is going to sound like, like with some groups who shall remain nameless. But you know what I mean? Like this isn't, it's not ha ha punk always. There are some funny songs and it's not, you know, pop punk. There are some things, but there's also a lot of rock and, you know, so, so that's like the, when you, when you play as a musician, which I was down by is a musician's band uh, it's, it's both a strength and a weakness in terms of instant catchability, um, for, you know, some, some fans.
4: Yeah. Oh no, that's a, that's a very good point. I like that. Um, it, this is kind of, you know, focused on a, uh, this question specifically on the era of when, you know, many hardcore bands that had existed you know, maybe put out a record or two, and then they started to have to grapple with the idea of like, Oh, like, Here's this changing music scene and, you know, when hair metal started to exist and bands. Uh, you know, made the shift from, I, I mean, I'll just use my own anecdotal, uh, touch point of, you know, me being from Southern California. Um, you know, I started to get into uniform choice well after they it existed. Um, you know, cause I'm 37 years old and they broke up by the time I started getting into punk and hardcore. But I remember getting, sure. their, getting their later records and being like, Hey, this doesn't sound like what they used to sound like. And then starting to just kind of notice that trend within, in punk and hardcore. Um, you know, was that, uh, you know, as that started to kind of permeate, um, within the scene, like, did you, you know, what was that, that weird to you? I mean, I know you always have self-identified as a, as a metal dude first and then, you know, Punk and Hardcore Kid second. Um, but you know, how did that kind of, you know, uh, rattle around your head as that started to happen?
3: Well, I think the the cool thing was in, in 1981 or whatever, you know, all of us were trying our best, and the sincerity was what carried it through, and the ferocity and the and the rage was what was what, for instance, brotherhood. You know, stands on its on its you know on its rock of rage, right? And it's and it's the solidarity and the the idea of brotherhood. You know, very sincere idea and true stories about all the Boston Crew days and all that stuff. So, um, but then we all started growing up and getting better and uh at our instruments and it was kind of cool because it all happened everybody together you know so the second dys record uh was you know as you note for the uc stuff um second dys record was quite different from the first but that was so natural and real um you know we all grew up on acdc and and early metallica and you know and stuff like that and so um you know, Alice Cooper and Kiss or whatever, you know, you go, go down the list. And so it was very natural that the second DYS record would sound like that, or that COC would become who COC became, you know, um, because they were all growing, you know, and, um, they, they loved rock and they became a really good rock band. And that's, there's kind of a delight and a, and a natural beauty in that. And I've always kind of almost welcomed the, um, the, the 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 difference in the growth in bands as they as they mature because I didn't I wouldn't want every single album of every single band to sound like the first you know like when I to, to like let's think of the Ramones you know their first few albums had a solidarity to the musical solidarity but um, certainly different you know they got better with each other and then when they put out End of the Century you know with Phil Spector producing it it was complete you know, revolution in what they had sounded like before. And, um, the Rolling Stones has also, have also always done that. The who, you know, when you listen to the early who versus what they came up with, um, you know, with don't get fooled again, or, or, you know, um, long live rock or the, those later, you know, hits there. There's so many instances of groups growing in their later stuff is either better or certainly as good in its own way. So I've always kind of believed in letting that, you know, that grow.
4: Yeah, definitely. And like, once you, you know, have more of a context for it, you understand why a lot of these bands, you know, did what they did, but like, you know, it's, it's really jarring when you are, you know, whatever, 16 year old kid, you're starting to get into hardcore and you're like, man, these bands are great. And it's like, wait a minute, what, how, what's, what's the shift here? And then, yeah.
3: Yeah. The 16 year olds have a harder time with change. That's for sure. (laughs) Yep. Um, and sometimes, you know, it takes years for people to get used to a new record and then you hear it years later and you're, you're like oh my gosh that was really good like you know what i mean but when it first happened you didn't like it um yeah so that that's also a normal process for the listener too because the listener grows up too right mm-hmm. so the listener had his or her first songs or first albums by a group that they loved and then they like you say they, they hear something and it sounds different and they're like oh you know hell with these guys you know and then uh, you get it, like 10 years older or five years older from that, and you listen back to that album that you weren't so sure about, and you go, like, Oh my God, this is really great. Why didn't I realize this before? But that's, that's okay. That's part of growth.
4: Exactly, exactly. Your, your, your tastes can change, and if they don't, then you're probably doing something wrong. <laughs>
3: Right. Right. When I was a kid, I didn't like cheesecake, right? Like right. I just didn't. My parents would, would try and give me cheesecake or, you know, if we went out for my birthday or whatever, I remember there was actually, ironically enough, there was a Mexican restaurant that served cheesecake at the end, even though you don't really think of that as being a Mexican food type thing. But anyway, I, I just hated cheesecake, right? Right now, if I had a big piece of cheesecake with a strawberry on top and chocolate syrup drizzled on it, I would be a happy boy, you know? Right. So Yeah taste change and and that's that's a good thing
4: what hello fresh you haven't heard of hello fresh oh my gosh come on let's let's do this right okay so hello fresh is a meal delivery kit service that shops plans and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook eat and enjoy i've been using hello fresh now for almost a year and i can't tell you how awesome this service is but you know what i will So they got three meal plans to choose from. They have Classic, Veggie, and Family, and each box is delivered to your doorstep in recyclable, insulated packaging that is made up of fresh, responsibly obtained ingredients from carefully selected farms and high-rated, trusted sources. Plus, with the simple recipes outlined on pictured step-by-step instruction cards, you can feel confident in your cooking. There's even lots of one-pot recipes that require minimal cleanup. So you can spend less time meal planning and grocery shopping each week, and get that time back to do more of what you love. I cook this stuff with my wife on a regular basis. We get three meals a week delivered to our doorstep. It's like it's like Christmas morning every time one of these boxes arrives. And it's awesome because yeah, me being vegan, I'm able to veganize these recipes so, so easily. It's amazing. So it fits every single person's dietary preferences and concerns. I love this service so, so much. And I recently had these veggie skewers on a bed of couscous. Dude, it was unbelievable. I I loved it, and uh, you will love it too. So what I want you to do is go to HelloFresh.com and enter the code WORDS30, and that will give you $30 off your first week. So that's HelloFresh.com. Offer code WORDS30 for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. That's the equivalent of me taking you out to dinner, okay? So let's hang out, talk about music. You can eat HelloFresh. I would make it for you, but that's a little weird if I show up at your house and try to make it, you know, I I, I don't want to do that. But what I want to do is give you $30 off. So hellofresh.com, words 30, okay? I love it. You'll love it. You'll eat better. Your life will be better. HelloFresh, thank you. Now on with the show. Is something that I found kind of, a you know, not, not a theme, but you've mentioned on, on more than one occasion in previous interviews where you were talking about that, you know, if you, uh, didn't attend graduate school and, you know, go to Israel and, and these other decisions that you made, you know, to continue to pursue your schooling, um, about you know, Dag Nasty obviously having uh, more of an ability to you know tour and make your name known and all that stuff that you're supposed quote unquote supposed to do as a band, um, right? You know it, it, the but then you know l- later in life as you started to you know tour a lot with Down by Law and how that became kind of you know overwhelming for you. Um, you know, do you, do you reflect on that like maybe? You know, maybe if you pursued that with Dak Nasty, that you know the road would have caught up with you earlier rather than later. Um, I don't know. It's that's just... a
3: great. That's a great question. I've never thought about it in those ways. Very possibly yes. I think you have a good. That's a good potential scenario. And the other thing is, you know, Brian and I are always like fire and water, or whatever, oil and water, whatever the expression. You know, fire and ice. And and so, who knows whether we would have lasted more than one tour? Um, you <laughs> know, uh, in in a van. You know, making you know a hundred dollars a show or whatever people made back then you know so so it's very possible that for whatever reason uh something would have unraveled um but the other thing is while you can have wondering in life it's it's good to wherever you can to 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 sort of have um patience and acceptance in life and to sort of um to sort of know that, yes, life could have gone in many different directions, but because it did go in your personal direction, whatever your personal story is in life, um, the good parts also happened because of your, the changes and the choices that you made. So, um, you know, we can't spend our lives, um, you know, what did, what did uh, Dumbledore say in, in Harry Potter when he's looking into the, the mirror? He says, you know, it does not do to dwell on dreams and, and uh, forget to live.
4: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause you can, you can sit there and be like, Oh, if I made, if I made this choice differently, it would have been different. It's like, well, yeah, but you didn't. So that,
3: wouldn't. right. And, and, you know, there's also, you know, with Dag Nasty, one of the things that I've thought about too is, so we've, we've formed or, you know, we, we, we made this album that was like this explosion that even though we didn't, we kind of did realize it at the time, actually, that was one of those albums where we were making it and we were like, everybody was saying, holy shit, you know, like we all, recognize something there was some chemistry some magic whatever um and i'm not ego stroking myself because it was throughout the room throughout the process you know it was it was something was going on there and um and we had that feeling when we made punk rock academy fight song with with dbl and i dare i say it, i feel like we're having some of that now with um with don't sleep but um you know but having said that the um the great thing about Dagnasty in a way about, can I say, is we formed, we made this thing, this, this creation, this, this, uh, you know, supernova. And then, you know, we broke up or, well, we didn't break up, but I left. And, uh, you know, who like you kind of leave on a high note, right. And, uh, kind of like the jam, right. The jam were number one in England and we're putting out some of their best stuff at the end of their career in the early eighties in, in England, but they, you know, they broke up at the height. And so that was, um, you know, that was great because you always remember the jam at their best. Um, and that's kind of cool.
4: Oh yeah, definitely. The, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, um, yeah. I mean, it's heartening. I don't know. I was trying to explore the word, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely cool. Um, right. and, And the, you know, like, like you said, you, you, you felt the kind of energy, uh, with Nasty as far as people paying attention to it. Um, you know, whatever, whatever, after you left and, you know, after things kind of happened, um, you know, I presume that there was, uh, you know, those similar moments when, you know, down by law started to exist because, you know, that was the band that you you know most actively toured with and were a part of the quote unquote music industry and stuff like that. Um, Right, You know, did, uh, I, I guess, did, did you enjoy kind of the, the business aspect of the music and kind of, you know, working with record labels and stuff like that? Or was that uh, something that you kind of just, you know, <laughs> put your head down and dealt with?
3: Um, well, you know, getting back to our early talk about the uniqueness of hardcore and punk versus, you know, uh, uh, overhyped and self-important pop person or something, you know, uh, I was really lucky because, All of the labels that I've, most of the labels that I've worked with have, have been super cool and super honest and super, you know, DIY and, you know, the fact that they were successful is, is a great thing. And so I never had that sense that I think you're mentioning about. You know, having to be like part of the machine. I mean, there was a point at which, down by law, when we were at the height of our touring and 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 record and and blah blah blah, it was sort of uh, a different level than I'd ever been at before. You know, um, but it it still was for Epitaph Records, and you know, we weren't like a little pawn on Capitol Records or something, or you know, fill in the blank of uh, major label of choice you know and and that also doesn't mean that it is bad to be on a major label either i would never dismiss major labels they all started out as small labels and you know and people forget walmart started out small and you know whatever i mean it's easy to hate someone when they're big and successful um but uh doesn't always mean that they started big and successful but but anyways, so i was really lucky to not i mean i was on cruise records you know with right again and <laughs> you know, from Black Flag. I mean, how cool is that? You know, or or, you know, Brett Gerwitz from Bad Religion started a label and I was on it for, you know, a gazillion records. And um, you know, obviously, you know, one of the most uh sincere people in America is Ian Mackay and Discord and Jeff Nelson and, you know, so um these are these are things and Y S, you know, was was uh self put out but on the exclaim label which is Al Burrell from SSD control who's one of the most ferociously honest people you'll ever meet, you know. So I have zero feelings of, of uh ever having not been happy with the labels that I've been on. I've been very, very uh fortunate and, and blessed in that. and even now with Don't Sleep, you know, we're doing stuff with Unity Worldwide and and uh Rev and um you know other labels that are that are totally cool. Mm-hmm. Reaper, you know, these are all labels that are, you know, the real deal, and and doing things for the right reasons, and putting out music that matters, and that's that's uh, that's a great thing.
4: Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, definitely on the label side of things, you've you've you know you've had a very very positive trajectory in working with good people, um, but you know there does. clearly there's other aspects of the music industry that are um you know that are just either tough to you know deal with whether it's just like oh man like you know do we do this show that pays us a lot of money that you know we have to play you know in front of a a boat or you know like all these things that you have to encounter when you are um, it's
3: true yeah i still remember the first couple times that we played festivals and you know as you can tell from listening to me ramble here a little bit, you know, I, I like to tell stories. I like to converse with people and, and that includes with, with my audience. And so the first time we played some big festivals, it was <laughs> like, you get 30 minutes and then you're off, right. Cause they, cause then, you know, Motorhead has to play after you or whatever it is, you know? And so it was really, uh, that was a shocker to get used to stuff like that. You know, like you got to play hard and fast at a festival and get your, you know, you, you don't have a lot of time right that's it I think that's kind of to your
0: point yeah
4: the is the, the assembly line factor of it and then I'll, I'm right like, the assembly line yes yes well said yeah
3: that's it <laughs> and, yeah and,
4: and then I'm sure the, you know the the idea that um, I mean especially once uh, you know down by law was was you know clicking like you said with the punk rock Academy record um, you know was did you guys have other labels pursuing you that were like you know promising you the world and that sort of stuff but you know you clearly were committed to epitaph from a contractual obligation was there a kind of you know where Weird stories from that era of like, cause you know, that was definitely when punk had obviously broke by that, that part. And now so, right, many, right. so many majors were looking at like, well, what can we do? So did, did you have any experiences of that?
3: Yeah, there were, there was some of that. Um, but there were just like sort of, you know, cause we lived in LA and out there was in and by law I was an LA band and I, I, you know, still have very strong connections to LA. Um, I was actually born in California, you know? So, um, but, uh, like there were, there was some talks and little things, but mostly we just kind of squashed them. Um, when, when somebody would say, you know, somebody from, and actually there was a capital, you know, and there were some other things and we just kind of, um, you know, we just kind of didn't, didn't entertain it. It wasn't a, wasn't a reality for us.
4: Right. Right. You mentioned you were born in California. I did not know that. Where were you born in California?
3: I was born in San Francisco, actually.
4: Oh, okay. And then uh, you were out there for a couple of years before you migrated east?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really remember it at all. And the funny thing is, you know, having lived in Southern California, um, I'm 150 million percent a Southern California boy versus a uh, Northern California. I love the Northern California people that I met, don't get me wrong, but in terms of like lifestyle and where I liked to live and you know would I ever live in San Francisco heck no but would I live in LA again heck yes you know and again it's not a diss it's just lifestyle and different you know different uh, scenes I'm not a big uh, city guy anymore especially now so you know LA is so much more spread out that it allows you to you know spread your wings a little bit more and you know and all the cliches about LA they're great I loved it yeah I love the Dodgers and all the bands and you know, the music and seeing all the crazy freaky people in Malibu and, and, uh, you know, Venice and all that. All just I had such a great time there.
4: Yeah, no, that that's cool. That, that's good that you can speak fondly from that experience. Um, oh yeah. So many people hate on LA and I'm,
3: I always think, man, maybe I had a different experience than everybody else. Cause I just, I
4: loved it. Yeah. Still do. You gotta, you, you have to find your, uh, your spot in LA. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Just like you have right, to find yeah. your spot. You have
3: good friends and restaurants yeah. and yeah
4: yeah exactly it's like if a person lives in santa monica and you're like hey can you meet in silver lake a person in santa monica is gonna be like no because that's like an hour <laughs> but then you're like right but then but then santa monica is beautiful and so is silver lake it's like yeah you just you gotta find your pockets
3: exactly yep and you're right those are actually two, two good examples because they're such unique communities um both of those that you just mentioned and um you know very different um, you know, obviously Silver Lake being the more hipster, you know, and Santa Monica being the more chill beach type thing. And yeah, exactly. You know, so, Right. Right. Um, it, and then you get like down to Hernando or Hermosa beach or any of that stuff and Redondo beach and all the really beach communities down South, you know, so that's a whole different culture down there. So. Yeah,
4: totally. Just, just shifts all, all up and down the coast. <laughs> um, yep. Something that I always, uh, you know, even though it was a, a short stint for you with, uh, with all, you know, as far as the, you know, the amount of records that they've put out now, um, the, uh, it, it seems like that was the most kind of, I guess, rigorous and focused uh, of a, a band experience, you know, not diminishing all your other experiences, but like, you know, the, just with the intensity in which, uh, you guys approached, you know, writing songs and like, you know, it, it, the way that it was described, it very much felt like it was a kind of a, a nine to five where it's just like, oh man, dude, we're, you know, we're burning the candle at both ends and we're writing constantly. Was um, that is that kind of, am I correct in that assumption or or did it feel? Oh different?
3: yeah, okay. I've, I've never, no, no, you're absolutely right. I've never had any experience like that. And it was, what well, was really strange is I got off the plane. Well, I, I got off the plane from Israel from having lived there after I quit DAG, And I'd lived in Israel for a year on a school. And I got off the plane and stayed with my uh, girlfriend at the time and her family in New Jersey for a little while. And then I, not that long, though, like, you know, very short. And then I, I knew that I would be moving out to LA. So I, I you know, was only back in the States. I mean, I was still kind of getting used to being back, you know, in, in my own country. And then flew to LA and Bill and the guys were there. And, um, we got into this big gray van, you know, spray painted matte gray and like drove to, I think we went to Alfredo's and then went to practice. I'm pretty sure if memory stir. So, you know, and that was it, you know, we were, I was in the, I was in the swimming pool and there was no getting out, you know? So it was great. Um, totally cool. Creative 24 seven. Um, you know, I've never had that kind of intense, uh, just nonstop you know, breathing the band, literally breathing the band. Cause you're breathing in together area, in this right? little tiny area though, where we had our, had our little bunks and everything. So <laughs> right, we're right. breathing the music.
4: Right. Yeah. Um, and, and then I, I'm going to presume that, you know, that was definitely the start of your, um, you know, I'm characterizing this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the sort of, you know, love, hate relationship that you had in regards to touring um, and kind of the, you know, nature of just like you said, you know, you're playing for, you know, 70 people in the middle of nowhere and you're getting a hundred bucks to split amongst five people or whatever. Um, was that kind of your uh, first real taste of that being like, oh man, like, you know, being in a band is fun and it's awesome, but there's definitely a, a harsh reality that, you know, a lot of people don't pay attention to.
3: Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's love-hate. A, a lot of people have heard that I don't like to tour in, as much, and so they, they think that I hate it. It's not so much that. It's more that I actually love that, that hour-and-a-half period of, you know, right before we play till right after, you know, like that period meeting people. Let's say there's a 3 hours period between, like, getting to the club, hanging out you know, backstage or or even on the floor or whatever and meeting people and talking to them and playing and that instant, you know, like spark that, that makes life worth living, you know, and then the connection between uh, the band and the, and the audience and the, the power and the, you know, the pulse and the, yeah, all these great things. And then, you know, the wind down afterwards exhausted and, and, and still saying hi to people and meeting and, you know, joking and, you know, uh, those that period is, is untouchable. You know, um, that's, that's better than any drug that I could imagine there is out there, you know, but it's those long drives and missing your, your home life. If you have a, someone at home, that's when it starts to kind of be more challenging, I think. And and I think any honest musician who's been a full-time musician will well i mean heck, how many songs are there about touring and struggling and missing your you know best i hear you calling but i can't come home right now you know or whatever you know there's there's so many songs about musicians being on the road and missing their their girlfriend or whatever so right well uh, yeah I think that was,
4: you, you get most bands once they get to the you know maybe their second or third full length usually you know, half, if not the entire record is about touring (laughs) and how weird that experience is because they don't have any other experiences, you know?
3: Right. Yeah. And I think that also, you know, you raise a good point because I think that lack of uh, perspective from full time touring does creep in too. you start to see the world through a very almost kind of bizarre lens um, that's not real and it's easy to get twisted by it and it is easy to get, you know, when you talk about the business of music, that is easy to have that happen then, you know, like uh, start getting pampered a little bit and start, um, you know, having somebody, you know, get all your stuff into the hotel or whatever, you know, little silly things that don't really matter, but they start to kind of, if you're not careful, they'll start to change you and um, so I was always trying to be really careful not to not to have that, but to get back to your other question about all, oh, yeah, that was the first time I'd done it as a living, you know, and um, so that was definitely a different experience.
0: perfect home sweet home what you want to learn how to record how about you go to the best online university i could
4: possibly recommend urm academy now what are they they are like i mentioned an online recording school created by joey sturgis il levi and joel woznik basically three heavy hitters in the production world and they've worked with pretty much every heavy band you can possibly imagine from Machine Head, Devil Wars Prada, Of Mice and Men, Asking Alexandria. The list goes on and on. They've worked with everybody. And here is how it works. At the beginning of every month, you get the real multi-track session from a top artist and the mixer's notes so you can drop it into your portal and learn by mixing it yourself from scratch. It's awesome. That Just think about that. You get the actual session that that artist did. And then you can play around with it and learn a lot and figure it out on your own. And then at the end of that month, you'll watch a live streaming mix session where the mixer will mix the song from the start to finish and explain how they did it on the album and answer your questions live in the air. I've watched a few of these in session, and it's unbelievable. People are super engaged. They're learning a lot from one another. They're like, I've literally heard people say, oh, it's awesome. And so past guests include Andrew Wade from Data Remember, Bo from Sayosin, Nolly from Periphery, Daniel Bergstrand and Masuga, So much rad stuff. I can't encourage you enough to go to urmacademy.com if you even have the slightest interest in either recording your band or making a living off of recording, production, mixing, all that stuff. It's so exciting. I love that they are partnering with this show. URM Academy, get your head wrapped around it and dive in there and tell them that this particular show sent them. Them, you, Okay? URMAcademy.com. Do it up.
2: In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored Guy Love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place.
4: since you've always been active in music and then, you know, as the, the touring lifestyle started to die, die down for you, you know, by choice because, you know, uh, of your, your family, you know, having more of an important role in your life. Um, you know, was that, it, I know a lot of people have struggles once they are, uh, you know, kind of shifting out of that lifestyle. And then, you know, maybe they're not as, you know, in the quote unquote public eye, even though that is, you know, very minor when you're talking about the, the scene that we've all come from. Um, you know, was that difficult for you kind of being, you know, trying to shift your identity where it's just like, well, yeah, like, you know, I'm Dave from down by law or whatever, you know, all the other projects that I've done. Um, and then now I'm just shifting into, you know, Dave, the dad, Dave, the family man, Dave, the, you know, sort of, you know, quote unquote, normal worker or whatever. Um, was, was that a, a transition period for you or did that come pretty naturally to you?
3: Uh, no, I, I was really lucky. That's a good question, but I was very lucky that I'd never, um, had that, sort of feeling, um, I, I've always been myself and tried to be honest, and that was true, and I hope in 1982 and true in 2018, you know? Um, so whether I'm, in fact, I don't want to be on the road anymore, so instead of, far from having a, a, a anxiety or an identity crisis, I, I was like, thank you, you know, Jah, <laughs> Buddha, Yahweh, uh, you know, uh, whoever, you know, deity of choice, because I, I didn't want to be, uh, touring my whole life away, and and it also for me it does make the times when I do go out and play, it makes it that much more special to me. You know, it's always fresh and powerful. It's never cliche or or, or routine. So I'm I'm, I'm kind of uh, yeah. I never had any struggles with it. In fact, I I think I was fortunate and smart to do it the way I did it.
4: Yeah, no, that's cool because yeah, there and and a lot of it has to do with you know the age in which you are touring and like, you know, I mean, whatever, if you're between the ages of 16 and 20 and you're vaulted up on, on the stage and all of a sudden, you know, a thousand people are being like, oh my gosh, this person is the coolest thing ever. And then once you have to kind of, you know, go away from that, you know, you're probably not prepared to handle that because you're, you know, a child. Right.
3: Yes. Yeah. And I can imagine, you know, you always hear these, these really sad stories about, uh, child TV stars, you know, um, so many and, um, you know, they, exactly what you're saying. They kind of grew up and, you know, and I mean, I, I kind of make the think about the Jackson Five, right? Like, of course, they made a ton of money, even just as the Jackson Five and then as the Jacksons. But like, Michael was the guy who, you know, who obviously, you know, went on to enormous fame and fortune. But the other guys, I don't know what the Jacksons did after the Jacksons. You know, and that must have been hard for them growing up, you know, as kids, and 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 then all of a sudden that comes to an end, and you know, people like that probably it may have been struggling. I, I don't know, you know, but I can see that being a challenge, but, um, luckily punk rock, you know, never, uh, never was, was that for me. It was never a thing I had to do. It was always something I did because I loved it.
4: Right. Sure. Sure. Um, and then you know, I, as you started to you know be a dad, raise a family, and have that experience um, coming from the you know DIY punk background that that you do, um, cl- you know clearly you're raising your kids through a different lens than you know your average person. Um, you know, have you have you kind of reflected on that uh, experience in regards to? you know, how that scene and that, you know, music and all the, you know, anti authoritarian uh, sentiments and, you know, politics and all these things that are, you know, baked into this music. Um, you know, how did that kind of reflect you as a, as a parent?
3: You know, that's a great question. Um, now I see why Garrett wanted us to have this conversation. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so no, it is a great question. I think if if anything, what I did in hindsight um, that was, I tried, or I, I, I did my best first of all, like every parent, I think I'll, I'll, you know, most parents do their very best to, to be their best that they can be and be the best parent they can be. So in my case, I, I tried to, um, you know, um, and my, my older, my older kids are, are, you know, in one batch and then, um, I have a, a three-year-old now and i um, a two-year-old for another few days, but, but anyways, uh, I tried to raise them almost with the music, not being part of it. And I think in hindsight, maybe I did that too much because I didn't want them to be, you know, these are Dave Smalley's kids. You know, I wanted them to have the freedom to branch out on their own, become whoever they wanted to be. And and I'm happy about that. And they have, and they're all, you know, super, you know, smart and productive and caring kids. So, um, but I feel like I almost should have maybe played the Ramones and black flag a little more than I did because I wanted them to discover that stuff. And, um, so maybe in hindsight, I, I went too far, you know, the other way. And so they've actually, none of them are, my 17 my year old son is, uh, he's, he's into some hardcore music and he's been just getting super into the misfits lately. And, and that's kind of great. Cause it didn't like, I didn't force him to listen to, you know, um, you know, Glenn Danzig or whatever. I just, I just kind of would play them sometimes in the car, right? Like you always do. And then let him discover it. So the misfits are his now they're not because his dad forced him to listen to it. So I don't know. You always, you always second guess things, right? Like, should I have played the Ramones 35 hours a day? I don't know. Maybe.
4: Yeah. Well, I honestly, I do think that your train of thought is uh, very symptomatic of uh people that were you know kind of raised in the scene because you know when you when you find something that is your own regardless of what it is like you know you take ownership over that but like if you're sitting there trying to you know really like calculate or it's like all right you know, at age eight, they're definitely gonna get the clash. At age ten, they're definitely. Gonna, it's like, you know, they're not gonna feel like it's their own. Like they they need to feel like, even if they have viewed it through your lens, like, yeah, the, the, you know, parents' music is never gonna be cool, you know? And if they retroactively get into it and they're like, oh hey, dad, I I I know you played in a band, but I actually listened to it and it's cool or whatever, you know? <laughs> like,
3: yeah, yeah, and you know, it's funny. I played some don't sleep stuff for uh, Colter, my my, uh, you know, my, my oldest son and he was really into it. And it was cool because I was kind of surprised that he was really into it. And he was kind of surprised that he really liked it. And it was like very organic, you know? Right. So, um,
4: yeah, it works out well like that.
3: yeah Uh,
4: yeah for sure uh two last things i want to hit on before i let you go um you know speaking of don't sleep um you know there's there's really no ostensible reason that you personally still need to be active in a band anymore you know like you you've already done your time you've contributed a lot artistically um but you know clearly you still feel the urge and its importance to you um you know i i guess this may be like a very wide umbrella question but it's just like you know why do you still care like why do why are you still you know being active at this when clearly you don't ostensibly need to be
3: right um, well I guess it kind of gets back to you know our earlier conversation about do you believe it right do you believe it and um, you know do you believe that hardcore and punk were more than just a music and a soundtrack for your life, and that's cool if that's all they were, right? Like that's totally cool if that's what it was. Um, but did you burn during it? Did you bleed during it? did you did you change because of it? Um, did you did you screen those notes and make them your own with whoever your favorite bands were and favorite albums were? Because if you did all that, then you then you have the answer to your question. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I, I still remember when I sold my record collection that in that actually in that interim period that I was mentioning after I got back from Israel before I moved out to, um, to LA to join all. And, um, I still remember, you know from brief moment I was, cause you know, I was completely broke, you know, I had to, you know, I was a student, I had no money. I was about to go to California and be a punk band, you know, like it was just like, I had to sell some records, right. Because that's all I had. I didn't have any other thing that I could do, you know, sort of like donating blood or whatever. But like, so, so I, for a moment, I remember this sort of panic, right? Like, Oh my God, I can't sell that the first yeah you know, I can't sell see nothing, hear nothing, say nothing or why, you know, from discharge. I can't, I can't sell the first suicidals album. I can't, you know, I can't sell um, whatever, and and then it kind of hit me, you know. It was kind of like a slap on one side, and then the other slap came on the other side of the face. I was like, dude, this is your life. It's okay because all of those notes and all of those words are in your in your brain and in your blood, literally in your blood, you know, for for your life. And that I I firmly believe if you put on the first suicidal record or, you know, um, you know, jealous again, or pick, pick whatever your early, you know, thing is the first, you know, all mod cons, whatever the, the album, you know, undertones, pick whatever you want. Those things are in my DNA. And so I believe in punk rock as a way to touch your blood and your heart and your soul. And I believe that it's a great way to, come of age and to keep a sense of independence Um, and that's that was always key to me too like there are a lot of bands and I love pop music like not you know not the silly kind that we mentioned earlier but like you know really great pop music uh, you know like Michael Jackson or whatever you know I mean I'll crank up Michael Jackson as loud as anybody in the car on the highway and sing along you know but um, but it was always hardcore that touched my heart most and, um, that helped define me. And so if I can, you know, as long as I'm, as long as I feel that, that spark and I can pass that spark on to others and also rekindle it for some who, who had it and kind of, you know, as you get older with jobs and bills and family, you kind of sometimes lose that spark and that's okay because I'm here and will always be here to, uh, to light that spark again for you. I hope.
4: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's uh, very, uh, yeah, it's a valuable perspective I think people need to hold on to um you know because the it, it's it is weird aging within the context of what is supposed to be a youth movement, you know? Like this is a, you know kid you're always going to have your 14 to 16 year old kids going to shows, getting into new bands, starting bands and all that stuff and you know you're all you do is get older, you know? And so yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a well, has been
3: That's been an interesting thing is that I really feel, you know, um, you know, you always wonder, am I just saying this because I'm trying to justify my own existence, you know, so to speak musically, but I, I, I think don't sleep is really good and I don't write the music. So I'll give all the credit to those guys. Right. But, um, you know, as long as I, as long as you can, can have music at, at, you know, and there's a ton of people that are still doing music at, at, in their fifties and at, from that were, you know, in their 18s or whatever, eight twenties twenties and young twenties and back in the day. And, you know, like I just did some shows with DYS and, uh, agnostic front, um, last summer. And, um, holy cow agnostic front were freaking great you know like they were they were just as good if not better than than i remembered from you know a million years ago so it is possible to do again getting back to our talk about different albums and different growth rates for bands you know some bands get better with age and um there's a lot of those playing right now yeah absolutely. but again it's a soundtrack to independence that's always been the thing for me always liked that it was a personal thing and you know i know for some people it's political and for others it's just a party thing and for others it's whatever but for me it was always about like it encouraged me to be myself and to go out and do stuff that i believed i could try to do and and uh, you know gave me you know a little bit of um, you know just sort of steel in my backbone and you know glint in my eye you know to to take on different challenges
4: yeah oh absolutely Um, And the last thing I want to hit on was where you you currently live in Fredericksburg, right? Am I correct? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So that that town to me, I've visited it a couple times and it's such a such an interesting town because, you know, clearly like there's there's a touristy element to it but then you know clearly it's also rooted in history because you know what isn't the town slogan like the most historical town in america or something like that i, I think we try to claim that <laughs> yes
3: um i'm sure there are there their are competitors but yes we, <laughs> yeah. we we're we're I, i'll say we're one of the yes there you that's
4: go. true right yeah top top 10 we'll say um but then you know also has a very large sort of transient college population as well so it's like you have this mixture of three different things that don't happen in most towns. Cause usually you get maybe one, maybe two, but not really in the same fashion. So, you know, I presume because you've been there for so long that you, you know, you kind of enjoy that experience. Um, I'm guessing, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I love all of those elements. I love the history part. I'm um, I'm definitely part history dork and encourage people, you know, one of the things that it, it's hard to, um, you know, for people to get energized to, to be patriotic, sometimes I feel, and and um, I think America has a lot of great stuff about it. Far from being, you know, this this, you know, what what some people would portray it as. Um, I think America's a great country, and has so many great things. And one of the great things is the founding fathers and the American Revolution. I mean, if you know your history, and if you don't, go read a book about, you know, um, go, go read a book about George Washington or Thomas Jefferson and, and understand the enormous odds that they were up against facing the greatest empire in the world. And, and not only did they face them militarily, but they were facing down an order of, 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 of life, right? Like kings and, and royalty and lords and, uh, you know, and, and the, the peasants versus the, the no, the nobles. And like, these are things that, to us, right? As Americans, we're like, yeah, that's so antiquated. That's so weird. Well, it wasn't antiquated when they were doing it. It was all real. And they formed this constitution and wrote the Declaration of Independence. And, you know, these are incredible, remarkable, world-changing times that they were in and did and ideologically and, and, uh, you know, militarily. And I have enormous uh, gratitude for the the people who, who made our freedoms, uh, possible today. And, and, you know, if you ever want to have a great, uh, evening to understand in a different kind of way, what they were going through, rent the musical 1776, uh, or get it on Netflix or wherever it is or get it on Amazon. But yeah, 1776, uh, Ken Howard played, um, played Thomas Jefferson and, um, uh, Howard DeSille, I think was was Ben Franklin, and I forget who played John Adams. He was great, though. I, I can't remember his name, but it really good. Anyway, it's the story of the forming of of in the Continental Congress and writing the Declaration of Independence, and um, it's absolutely amazing musical, and it's a delight, and it's funny, and you know, there's parts where you cry and parts where you laugh, and it's just a great score. But so I I, I love living in Fredericksburg partly because it reminds me of you know the good things about you know what, who we are as a people.
4: Yeah, no, that's cool. It gives you the, the connectivity, like regardless of your, regardless of your political beliefs, like whether you're Republican, Democrat, you know, libertarian, whatever, um, there is something that is so, um, you know, I guess awe-inspiring when you do go to the, you know, I mean, especially being from California, like, you know, we don't have as much history as, you know, when you travel to any other city on the East Coast and like, you know, standing in front of the Washington Monument or Lincoln Memorial or whatever, you can't help but be like, wow, this is pretty cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you, you, you should. And, you know, we owe it to our our past
3: to respect some of the things that they've done. And, you know, um, kind of like what we were talking before about, you know the misfits playing in a in a tiny little hall with dys, and then you know now they're they're playing in arenas. Well, they deserve respect for doing that because they're the only reason they're playing in arenas, and the only reason, for instance, you and I are having this conversation today, is because a lot of people in 1981, you know, went through a lot of tough times to actually sustain and grow and and nurture this this music that we all love. And um, so it's okay to. And it's probably good, I think, to respect those who've done, you know, stuff in the past. And so Fredericksburg has a lot of that. Williamsburg, Virginia as well. That's a colonial town. And uh, Fredericksburg also has an arts community, which is really, really great, really great arts community. Some, some just top-notch uh, artists and painters and potters and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff here that I, that I really respect.
4: No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I, I think we did it, man. We did it.
3: <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, I hope I hope there was something in there worth uh, worth thinking about or or, or or you know reflecting on. So. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, great questions, and, and uh, really enjoyed chatting with you.
4: That was Dave. How sweet. Was that? I loved it. Uh, thank you very much to his bandmate, Garrett, who helped coordinate all this and stayed on top of me to make sure this got scheduled. Thank you, Garrett. You are awesome and you are very diligent in the least non annoying way possible. Because, you know, sometimes people can get a little punishing when they want you to do something. <laughs> but Garrett was not that. So thanks, Garrett. Thanks, Dave. And uh, next week is the 300th episode, which, uh, you know, like that's a cause for celebration, right? I, I think so. So, we are going to have Chris Taylor, who is the vocalist from Page Ninety Nine, and he also played in a band called Pygmy Lush. Uh, Page Ninety Nine was was and is an incredible band, and I I just I don't know. I there are certain people in certain bands that I just don't think have an interest in you know doing something like this, doing something long form, talking about their experiences. But uh, yeah, Chris was I just I, I hit him up on Instagram and I was like, hey man, would you be interested in this? And uh, he was very interested. So, uh, yeah. And we talked for a long time. <laughs> I didn't want to say an hour and a half, close to two hours. But uh, that's what we got next week. And, um, yeah. So, we'll we'll celebrate. All right? Episode 300. Wow. Okay. If you're listening this far, you're doing a spectacular job. <laughs> Anyways, until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.
2: Drain
4: from their soul.
0: Yeah, I think at the Daily Zeitgeist, we like to give people a balance of just enough news that they feel informed and just enough laughs that they're not overwhelmed and can have a decent day after listening.
4: So, guys, listen to the Daily Zeitgeist on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever. fine podcasts are given away for free.
5: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference.
0: Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com.
4: No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and
5: conditions apply. See website for details.
2: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With Simelbo Grease,